0: This morning's reading is from John, um, the Gospel according to John, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 15, can be found on, if you have the Bibles from church, on page uh, 1064. John 3, 1 to 15. A familiar passage, I'm sure, for many of us. Now, there was a Pharisee. A man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, but no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, Very truly. I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but birth, uh, sorry, but, uh, spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. Well, so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell to you, tell you, we speak of what we know. And we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. Well, how then will you believe if I speak of the heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you very much, Val. Good morning again. Um, perhaps I'll just pray for us as we, uh, we you know, turn our minds off things like coronavirus and that sort of stuff and uh, start start looking into this uh, interesting little discussion that uh, Jesus and Nicodemus had 2,000 years ago or so. Uh, how about I pray? Uh, dear Father, we thank you that you are God. Um, we know in these times that uh, we can react in all sorts of different ways, but um, we pray, Father, that you would help us to trust you. Uh, we thank you that um, even though we know that this world is not how it should be, that uh, you have always had a plan to fix this world, and that plan centers around Jesus. Uh, and as we come to hear about uh, this discussion that he had, would you just focus our minds this morning uh, and send your spirit amongst us so that we can, uh, we can understand what it is that you would say to us. Amen. Amen. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, I remember I was swimming at a beach. It was uh, down, at, uh, down near Victor Harbor, a little bit like this one, swimming along. And I suddenly realized that I couldn't touch the bottom anymore couldn't touch the bottom anymore. And once more, when I tried to then swim back towards the beach, I realized that the tide's sort of pulling me out faster than I can swim in. And so uh, being a sensible guy, I yeah, am, I panic. And I try even harder to swim against the tide, but I just can't get anywhere. Um, so I had that quickly, that rising adrenaline, trying to work out what I could do, different options running through my head. I, I, I expect some of you would have had that kind of adrenaline sort of feeling that those sort of reactions before. Um, The good news is though, I'm I'm on the beach and I can see up on the beach, uh, there's, what are they, the red and yellow flags, um, lifeguards just sitting right up there. So I know all I have to do is put up my hand. I think, do you do a fist? Is that how you do it? Put up your fist. I know they're going to come and help me out, so I'm totally okay. But but here's the thing, here's what I remember most clearly. Um, My reaction, the way I reacted, something in me just said, no, I don't want to ask for help. I'm not going to ask for help. I don't need it. Now, my story turned out fine. I, I found a sound bar and then made my way in. Uh, but what sticks with me in that is that reaction I had. That reaction, when I was in trouble, my first, my first reaction wasn't to get help. Uh, my reaction was to try and do anything I could to uh, figure out the situation. I um, I think partly I didn't want to believe that I was in trouble, maybe. Um, probably it was also a bit of a matter of pride. You know, Admitting that you need help um, takes, a, takes a certain degree of humility, doesn't it? It means admitting that you're not capable of uh, saving yourself. Now, I'm sure uh, some of you would have had a different reaction to what I would have had. Probably most of you are better swimmers than me anyway, so you wouldn't have uh, got into trouble. Uh, But I do wonder if sometimes that natural reaction, that no, I don't need help uh, reflex, can be how we react uh, to Jesus. To Jesus. I think it's definitely the reaction uh, that lots of people in our community have who who don't call themselves Christians. Uh, When they come to think about Jesus, they say, oh, actually, my life's okay. I'm comfortable with who I am. Um, And so I don't have a need for God. I don't. I don't need Jesus, and you can even be quite positive, you know. Like I, I like, I like lots of the things he said. I like going to church from time to time. I, I quite like going to church at Easter and remembering uh, Jesus' birthday at Christmas. But do I need him? Uh, no, 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 I don't. Obviously, Christians uh, we would we would never say that, but uh, I do wonder if uh, there are ways, in perhaps subtle ways, where we might think that or uh, perhaps act as if we don't need him as well. Act as if uh, we're okay and we don't need Jesus to help us or, or to change us. At Trinity Church Brighton, as we get closer to Easter, we're spending time uh, looking into some of the various uh, people that Jesus encountered when he walked the earth 2,000 years ago. Uh, and as we do that, we're, we're trying to do it not as, a, not as just an interesting history lesson, but we're trying to think about that and then think about what it means to encounter Jesus today, to have a relationship with Jesus today. Uh, Because that's what we say as Christians, isn't it? We have a relationship with Jesus. So what what does that actually mean? Um, So today we're thinking about this discussion that we've had read out for us, this uh, conversation that Jesus had with a guy called Nicodemus. It's a very famous um, discussion. Uh, Here's the thing to know about Nicodemus. Here's the thing to know about Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a good guy. He's a good guy. He's a really good guy. He would have been one of those guys that uh, it's impossible not to like. Popular, generous, warm. Um, I'm picturing someone I know actually, it's not even someone I know particularly well, but every time I see him, big smile, uh, big how you going, big friendly handshake, Uh, he would really be struggling with the coronavirus restrictions, loves shaking people's hands. Um, One of those really friendly guys, he's he's that guy, this is Nicodemus. And here's the thing, I think the reason, uh, because Nicodemus is such a good guy, the fact that Nicodemus is such a good guy, I think that's exactly why John gives us this story actually, because he's such a good guy. Because if anyone doesn't need Jesus, it was Nicodemus. If anyone didn't need to change, it was Nicodemus. If anyone could kind of swim out of the rip on their own, it was this guy. He's such a good guy. And yet Jesus tells us the opposite. He, even he needs to turn his life totally upside down. He needs to be saved as desperately as someone caught in a rip drifting out the sea. And of course, if even Nicodemus needs Jesus to save him and change him. Uh, John wants us to see that uh, we need Jesus too. We need Jesus too. Uh, So let's let's dive in. And before we we get to what this means for us, let's uh, let's start by getting our heads around Nicodemus, uh, who he is and what goes on here. Um, A good place to start actually is to go a little bit back further than the passage we had read out, um, just to get the context of what's going on here in the book of John. These are the last couple of verses of John chapter 2. Uh, let me go through these with you. It says, Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. Uh, this is Jesus. He's in Jerusalem. Uh, it's a Passover festival. He's doing lots of miracles. Lots of people see them. Lots of people are impressed. Uh, but verse 24, But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, but he knew what was in each person. Now, this is, this is interesting, I think. This is This is intriguing. All these people are positive about Jesus. They like the idea of him. You know, they believed in his name, but but does Jesus welcome them, accept them? You kind of expect Jesus to to welcome them in and say, you know, come and follow me, come and come and have a relationship with me. But no, he he doesn't trust them. He knew what was under the surface, and so he keeps his distance. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? That's kind of odd. You kind of ask the question, why? Like. Why does he not trust them? What's, what's, what is it about these people? What's going on under the surface? And I kind of read this and I think, oh, come on, John, couldn't you give us a bit more of an explanation as to what's going on here? You know, what is it about these people that means Jesus doesn't want to trust them? But then I realize I think actually that's exactly what John does. See, see, this is the end of chapter two. Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew what was in each person. Then what happens next? Chapter three, verse one. Now suddenly, here's a person. Now there was a, man, a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. All these people that, uh, who saw Jesus' signs and liked the idea of him and, and uh, were impressed by him, but Jesus didn't trust them. I think John gives us an example of one of those people who's seen Jesus uh, and help us dig into a little bit more what's going on, on under the surface, uh, which makes sense of what he says in, in verse 2. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. You know, Jesus, these miracles you're doing, they're, they're pretty cool. I think you're pretty great. Why don't we get to know each other? Let's have a relationship. What does Jesus say, though? What does Jesus say? What do you want to do if you have to have a relationship with Jesus? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, this is a shocking statement, by the way. I I think we can miss the shock value a little bit. Um, This is amazing what Jesus says. Let me, let me give you two reasons why I think uh, we can kind of miss the shock value, and this is actually maybe even more remarkable than we realize. The first is, is I said Nicodemus is a good guy. Remember, let's, let's have a think about Nicodemus. This is, this is a really good guy we're talking about. First of all, he's a Pharisee. Now Christians, we can be used to thinking of the Pharisees as sort of the bad guys in the Bible. Uh, but remember, at the time, to the people of the day, uh, the Pharisees, they were heroes. They were, they were leaders. They were the religious elite. Um, they were the ones who didn't suck up to the Romans. People loved the Pharisees. And Nicodemus, he isn't even a normal Pharisee. Verse 1 tells us he's a member of the Jewish ruling council. There was these sort of 71 Jewish rulers and they sort of sat in this uh, big sort of thing that we could probably compare to federal parliament. He's sort of like a federal MP, only kind of with a religious uh, bent to it as well. So this is a very kind of high-level, respectable person we're talking about. And, and, and now you might say, oh, hang on, Matt, hang on, Matt, hang on, hang on, hang on. Sure, the Pharisees were, were moral people, but weren't they really prideful and arrogant? And I, I would say, yeah, yeah, like, I'll, absolutely, a lot of them will, do seem to be quite prideful and arrogant. Um, but this guy doesn't even seem, he doesn't even seem arrogant, does he? He sees Jesus' miracles and he doesn't write Jesus off. He comes to Jesus and, and believes that Jesus must have come from God. And, and there's a little, one little word that I think really jumps out at me. He even calls Jesus rabbi. Back in verse 2, he calls Jesus rabbi, a mark of great respect. And by the way, Nicodemus, because he's a Pharisee, he's probably a rabbi himself. And to, to become a rabbi, um, it, takes, it took years of training. It, you had to follow another rabbi for years and years and learn from that rabbi. Uh, lots of study, lots of memorization. It was probably um, sort of like what we might do today when we go and, and study for years to get a PhD or something like that, so we can call ourselves a doctor. Not that, not that I've done it, so you can call yourselves a doctor. Uh, and here's the thing, Jesus hasn't done any of that. Yeah, he's a carpenter from Galilee, remember? Now, now when I'm buying an airline ticket, I don't know if you've done this before, it's got the little drop-down, you know, you can choose your title. Um, you know, I could select Dr. Matthew Winter if I won and, and instead of Mr. Matthew Winter, and it's fun to get the flight attendants to call you a doctor. Um, but it doesn't mean I've done any of the work or the study, does it? And yet Nicodemus, even though he's a fully qualified rabbi, still has the humility to call Jesus a rabbi as well. So I think, I think he's tremendously humble. I think he's tremendously humble. So Nicodemus is moral, he's upstanding, he's successful, he's likable, he's humble. Surely he doesn't need Jesus. Surely he's okay as he is. But no, Jesus says, you must be born again. You must be born again. You're like a swimmer caught in a rip, heading out to the ocean, and you desperately need a lifeguard So, the first reason i think we missed the shock value of what's going here the second reason we missed the shock value um is this phrase born again of course christians and actually most people this phrase is kind of coming to our vocabulary now and it can mean we think a bit less of it so you know When I think of a born-again Christian, I must admit, kind of deep down inside, my stereotypical sort of born-again Christian reaction is uh, one of those Christians who was maybe a drug addict or a criminal and Jesus has come into their life and changed everything and now they're singing in the church choir or um, something like that. That's that's kind of what I think of straight away when I think of a born-again Christian. I'm sure there's lots of different things you might think about. but uh, Just try and for a minute put anything you would think about that term out of your mind. Just think about the phrase born-again. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's just impossible. And that's, you know, that's exactly how Nicodemus reacts in the next verse. He says, you know, how can someone be born, born when they're old? Surely they can enter a second time in their mother's womb to be born. I mean, I bet, I bet he's hoping that Jesus is going to say no, because otherwise he's got a very awkward conversation with his mother coming up. Uh, and that's the sort of shock value that this statement is actually meant to have. Like, it's, it's ridiculous. And so Jesus, like, he, he does actually clarify in verse 5, what does he say? Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. This is one of those verses that uh, people debate exactly what it means. Some people think, Jesus is saying, you know, you have to have a natural birth, which is the water, and then you have to be born of the Spirit as well. Um, Some people think kind of water and Spirit goes together as sort of an expression about new life, and that that would fit quite well with um, some of the imagery in the Old Testament, places like Ezekiel 35, 25 to 27. Um, I don't actually think it makes a huge amount of difference. Uh, I think what's clear is uh, that Jesus is using new birth as a metaphor Uh, He's talking about something spiritual, not something physical. But it is a radical change he's talking about. It's a crazy sort of start-from-beginning-again sort of idea. One way I've heard it explained before is with a uh, sporting illustration. I quite like my sporting illustrations, so uh, let me give you one. Imagine for a minute um, that I... Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think the Adelaide Crows have got a very good team this year So um, imagine I went down to Adelaide Oval And I uh, went down and asked the Crows And asked if I could maybe try out to be part of the team And I imagine they said yes You know, they're pretty desperate to uh, look for good talent on the footy field um, So imagine they give me a trial uh, I, I go kick the ball around for a while And imagine I, I go up to, uh, up to afterwards I go up to the Crows coach I think it's uh, Matthew Nix at the moment And he would probably say um, No, sorry Matt, we, we won't have you on the team yeah, I'll admit that he probably would say no. Um, now I might say, okay, yeah, fair enough. I guess I'm not probably that good at footy. Um, is there anything I could? Is there anything I could work on? Anything you know I could improve? And maybe next time, you know, maybe next year I'll be, able to be on the team if I work on things. Um, Matthew Nix might very well say, there is nothing you can work on. The only chance you would have to play for this team is if you were to go back to the beginning of your life and be born again, start again from scratch. That would be your only chance. Probably with different genes too. <laughs> that would be your only chance of making a team. Be born again. It's that sort of radical statement that Jesus is making. So this is Nicodemus. This is what Jesus tells him. Shall we take a step back? We've thought about... Uh, what, th- what happened in this encounter? I Remember, we we're trying to think about what this means for us, what it means for us when we want to have a relationship with Jesus. Nicodemus meets Jesus, and even though on the surface he looks like he's the least likely person to need Jesus, in reality he's, he's that swimmer caught in a rip. He desperately needs Jesus to save him and to change his life. Uh, it's the same for us, and it's the same for us. Because if we want to meet this Jesus, if we want to have a relationship with this Jesus, this Jesus who said even Nicodemus needed to be born again, uh, well, it's going to result in radical change. It's going to result in radical change. This is not someone you can have a relationship with without it changing your life. Uh, so let me give you three three reasons. Uh, things are different when we have a relationship with Jesus. Uh, three reasons why things change so radically, um, all from the passage today. Uh, first of all, if we have a relationship with Jesus, we have a new foundation uh, second, if we have a relationship with Jesus, we have a new identity. And third, if we have a relationship with Jesus, we have a new future. Uh, this is why, this is why we, having a relationship with Jesus changes our lives so much, uh, these three things. Uh, so first of all, a new foundation. Uh, let me ask you, before, before Nicodemus met Jesus, uh, I wonder what you think the foundation of his life was. What do you think the foundation of his life was? Because of course we don't know everything about him, uh, but I take it that it was his adherence to the law maybe that was the foundation of his life maybe his moral living that sort of thing or possibly it was his racial status as one of God's special chosen people and uh, maybe that was mixed together with his high status as a ruler of the people he had all these things to build his life on and Jesus comes and rips his foundation right out from under him no nothing you have done counts all those good things you achieved all those, all that effort you've put in they haven't even they haven't even got you halfway to the kingdom of God. Not even a quarter, not even a tenth. Go right back to zero. You have to be be born again. A number of New Testament writers pick up on uh, what Jesus says, this born again metaphor at different points um, in some of the the epistles. I'd like to go to a couple of them this morning. Um, The first one, uh, let's have a look at what um, Paul, the Apostle Paul, says. He says this in a letter to someone called Titus. Um, Let me read this. Let's watch out for the born again imagery that Paul uses. Are you ready? When the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth, rebirth, there it is, and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour. Did you notice, according to Paul, what our new foundation is if we belong to Christ, if we belong to Jesus? It's not the righteous things we have done. Verse 5. And even Nicodemus's righteous works, which were certainly better than, uh, better than ours, weren't enough. And Paul says, that's true of us too. So what is the foundation? The new foundation. He saved us because of his mercy. Mercy. A new foundation, if we come to Jesus, is God's mercy, God's grace, which is given to us by the Holy Spirit because of what God has done through Jesus. So our foundation is that we can be saved not through what we have done, but through what? He has done. We've already talked a little bit about the kind of new birth sort of imagery, what's going on there. There's there's a couple of other things though. um, Just remind us of how sort of shocking it is. Something else around the metaphor, let me put it in this way. Um, When someone is born, when there's a birth, uh, who who does the work? Who does the work? Uh, I'll give you a clue. It's not the one being born who does the work. Uh, Most of you, most of you know that I have a, Uh, One child, Lucy, almost a year old, Um, on the night night Lucy was born, it was uh, me, my wife Annika and Lucy were in the room. Uh, I'm going to say one person did uh, a lot of work that night, it was very uncomfortable. Um, It wasn't Lucy, Uh, it wasn't me, I did have a bit of a sore leg actually, but it was was pretty minor. (laughs) I think one of the reasons Jesus uses this metaphor is because if we're being born again, it's not us doing the work. The work is done by the, the one giving birth, Jesus, and by His Spirit, who comes into us and changes us, so that our lives are now built on what He has done, rather than what what we have done. And so, my question is is Jesus is Jesus your your foundation? I, I think it's very easy, actually, for, for us, even Christians, to have the sort of relationship where uh, we kind of think Jesus is, uh, you know, pretty awesome. But you know, maybe I'm pretty awesome too, and and you know, we're kind of we kind of buddies, and you know, you help me, I'll help you. Um, don't get me wrong, you know, the Bible just talk about us being friends with Jesus. You know, that, that's a true thing to say. Uh, but let's get the relationship right. He's the foundation of who we are. Without him, you know, we're stuck in that rip, heading out to sea. We're, we're nothing without, without Jesus. And so, you know, if you think that you kind of, you know, like Jesus, but maybe you don't need him, uh, my warning to you is that you just might not have encountered the real Jesus because the Jesus of the Bible, even when he met someone like Nicodemus, he said even Nicodemus' life had to be turned on its head and get this new foundation. Uh, so second, we have a new identity. Another aspect of kind of the new birth imagery that we haven't spoken about is is when you're born, you're, you're, kind of, you're not born into nothing, are you? You're born into a, a family. I know I understand that not everyone is born into a loving, caring family, um, but I think we get that that's... You know, those are, that's not how it's meant to be. You know, Jesus is saying we need to be born again. And being born again means we're born into God's family. Into God's family. <laughs> and what does that mean? That means we have God as our father. That means we have a new identity. Um, family shapes us, doesn't it? Family shapes us in so many ways. Family is such a big part of who we are. I think our family affects the way we think. You know, those families where just everyone in the family just sort of seems to think the same way. I think our family affects the way we behave, our priorities. Uh, did you ever stop to think, especially if you're a Christian, just how radical it is that Christians do things like give up our Sunday morning, you know, almost every Sunday morning, or, or give up our Friday nights to go to youth group, or take money that could be spent on ourselves and invest that money in church or mission so that people can hear about Jesus. You know, Why, why do we do these things? It's because, we're, it's because we're born again, because we are born into a new family. And that's what we do in our new family, in God's family. It changes our priorities. Of course, the other thing about a family is a uh, family affects how we feel, our emotions. You know, in a family, you have that loving bond between a parent and a child and, and bonds between family members as well. And so, our new identity, it should cause us to be growing in affection for one another. And it should be growing in affection as well uh, for God because he's now our father, our new father. I heard an illustration the other day about a, just, a, just a regular family. It was a small family. Um, there was a single mom, a, a son. Um, and the mother, uh, when the son was young, the mother had spent obviously so much time, uh, given so much effort for her son, um, put food on the table, cared for him, uh, given him money so he could grow up and, and be the person he wanted to be. And not, and not only that, but she'd um, supported him and taught him really well so that he went on to be a, a really well-functioning, really successful uh, member of society. Uh, now, if that, if that son, single mother and son, if that, if that son, very good person in every respect, uh, but if that son doesn't then love his mother you know he doesn't care about his mum. doesn't doesn't bother to call his mum. you know maybe unless he needs just unless he needs help we would all say there's something there's something really wrong there you know he's turned out to be a good person but where's the where's the affection if we're one of jesus people that means that god is our heavenly father our spiritual father and yet sometimes we can just focus on sort of obeying God's rules, working hard at being good people, kind of trying to be good citizens for God. But we, we forget we forget the love, we forget the relationship. We can focus on living the life God wants us to live, but we can forget that God is also now our Father. I certainly speak from my own experience. I, I often catch myself, you know, gone for days working hard, trying to kind of do things for God, um, you know, maybe even praying in sort of a, you know, mechanical sort of way. Uh, but I can kind of treat God like a distant taskmaster rather than a rather than an intimate father. We're part of his family now, and that should mean our affections for him are cultivated. Having a relationship with Jesus means we have a new foundation. We've been saved by what he's done, not what we've done. It also means we have a new identity. Uh, We're part of God's family. Lastly, it means we have a new future. A new future. Uh, This is just a quick one, but I want to go to another place in the New Testament where the idea of being born again is is picked up. This time it's the Apostle Peter who picks up the idea. Uh, Let me get this up. Now, I think Jesus certainly hints at this idea too, and Paul certainly does, but um, Peter says it very explicitly. It's, it's quite remarkable what Peter says. We um, read, For you have been born again. There it is, that part we know. Uh, and then Peter he kind of interestingly changes to a different metaphor with seeds and agriculture. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Peter talks a lot about the things of this world and how they're temporary, they don't last. What he's saying is that our new birth our born again birth the new birth that Jesus introduced to Nicodemus this birth it comes from a seed and it's not a it's not a perishable seed it's a seed that lasts our new birth comes from a seed that lasts i think what he's hinting at actually what he's kind of saying is is that this new birth it doesn't come from the things of this world which are passing away you know this seed belongs to the world to come it's almost like god is plucked a seed out of the future, new heavens and the new earth and brought it back into the present and used it to cause us to be born again. And so when we come to Jesus, we come and have a relationship with him, we're born again. What that means is that we already belong to the world that is to come. We already belong to the world that lasts, to the imperishable world. It's a pretty crazy statement that Peter's making, isn't it? We already belong to Jesus who died and rose again. We already belong to his people that will live forever. And that's a comforting thought, isn't it? Especially when there's uncertainty in the world like there is at the moment. So I think this interaction between Nicodemus and Jesus is a very significant one. It's, it's remarkable uh, in many ways. It shows us that we, uh, if we come to Jesus and have a relationship with him, it means we have a new foundation. It means we have a new identity. It means we have a new future. Uh, just as I finish, I want to make uh, one more comment about Nicodemus. Um, he, met, he met Jesus. He was challenged by Jesus. And then you might notice he kind of just disappears from the narrative. He, sort of, he says one more thing and then the conversation goes on and then you don't hear of him again. And you might ask, you know, what happens to Nicodemus? What, what becomes of Nicodemus? How did meeting Jesus affect his life? Well, if we flip forward to the end of John's Gospel, chapter 19, there's, a, there's an interesting little detail that I think it's worth looking at. Uh, this is the end of John 19. Jesus, is, Jesus has just died. John 19, verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about seventy-five pounds, which is a lot of aloe vera if you're paying attention. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with their spices in strips of linen. This is in accordance with Jewish burial customs. Do you remember the story of the night Jesus dies? Uh, Jesus' disciples abandon him, the apostle Peter denying Jesus, that sort of thing. Uh, who, who was there at Jesus' darkest moment? Who was there at Jesus' moment? darkest moment? Nicodemus. Nicodemus was there, probably there at great risk to his uh, reputation, maybe, maybe even risk to his life, but... Certainly very intense. Nicodemus, he came to Jesus. He, th- he thought he had life figured out. Jesus told him he needed to change everything, get a new foundation based not on what he had done but what on what Jesus had done, get a new future, be born again. I don't, I don't know, but I, I think and I hope that this is John's way of showing us that Nicodemus, he, he got it, I think. He met Jesus and his life was changed. Because that, that's, ha- that's what happens when you meet the real Jesus. Your life changes. Uh, let me pray. Dear Father, we, we thank you for this great story of Nicodemus. Uh, Father, we can sometimes think that we, we don't need your son, uh, that we don't need help, that we don't need to change. Uh, but we've seen that even Nicodemus needed to be born again. Uh, if even Nicodemus needed to be born again, then we all do. We all do. Uh, thank you for the new foundation we have in Jesus Help us to trust in what he's done rather than in ourselves. Our reminders of that new identity we have, uh, being born into your family. And we thank you that we can uh, know you and know that we have a certain future as one of your people. We thank you that we can have a relationship with you because of what Jesus has done. And we pray in his name. Amen.